lots of teaching experience before I got in the forest. I've always wore silly hats, so this isn't new, um, but being in the forest most of the day when I teach is. I do have a master's degree in early childhood, uh, early childhood endorsement, um, but the teachers know that everything I, we've learned, it's been in the classroom, the degrees, I don't know if they really helped me or not, there probably was a couple good classes, but most of my learning happened in the classroom, as it is now in the forest. So we're going to kind of toggle back and forth today and think of it like a funnel. I'm going to give kind of the big scope and then Ron is going to narrow into kindergarten. This year we have um, kindergarten and have grown into first grade. So we are missing one of our team members. Last, I don't know, January or February, CEA contacted Ron and me and asked if we'd be willing to present. And at that point we didn't know that we were going or who was going to be the teacher of our first grade program. So we are missing part of our team, Emily Van Vliet, who is our first grade forest school teacher. So when we talk about differentiation, we begin by looking at some data. Um, one of probably the most gripping data points that kind of rocks me as a teacher and as a mother um, and as a person who's involved in educating children uh, comes from the Child Mind Institute. So Danielle Cohen, as well as many other child development researchers have pointed to the fact that the, Amer the average American child spends four to seven minutes per day in unstructured play. They also then spend over seven hours a day in front of a screen. So I think we can probably all agree that technology has dramatically changed the face and the landscape of childhood. Richard Louv, who is the author of The Last Child in the Woods, recounts an interview with a child who told him in an interview that this child's favorite place to play was indoors rather than outdoors because that's where all the electrical outlets were. And that is the source of joy easily and quickly. And, and the, the definition of joy, I would say, can be confused. It's a quick pacifier. And we'll talk about that just in a minute as well. So ch children, um, are exhibiting signs of something that has been coined by Richard Lou as nature deficit disorder. There is, when we look at data, there's an increase in sensory processing challenges. We see an increase in attention difficulties, a higher rate of physical and emotional illnesses in children today, an increase in myopia, childhood obesity, and many other maladies. So when you're looking at growing a child, you're gathering data and responding to that data. All of that data um, is coming, is being collected by the very first group of humans ever since God placed humans on the planet to care for the planet. This is the first generation ever to be moved primarily indoors. And we're seeing some challenges because of that. Um, our students uh, are also the first, let's see, I'm going to click to this one, um, to be distanced then too from their creator. I believe this goes against the way God has intended and designed for children to grow up. Um, we might go so far as to say that removing children from nature really removes them during their formative years. It distances them from experiences and opportunities to engage with their creator. Children learn with their bodies, and as you know, um, they're concrete learners at a young age, and they discover 
your leaves and lying in the grass and admiring God's artwork. And, you know, maybe even as I'm mentioning some of that, it harkens back for you, childhood memories that are warm, where you're communing and may, don't, may not even realize it, but holy moments between you and God. If we replace those with screens, what does that do for our little fledglings in the faith who are trying to discover a creator and are absent from nature and creation? Um, so Forest School really is um, an educational option that is designed for moving children back into nature. Um, I'll quickly tell you about the inception of the program, just to give you an idea of how this began and if there's any pieces that you can learn or take away from that, and then we'll talk about specifics of kindergarten. Um, so November of 2017, I was in a professional development meeting that was focused really around differentiating in the classroom. And while I was listening, I was feeling kind of a tug of, for some of our learners, do we have to pull back and find a completely different mode for learning that goes beyond differentiating in the traditional classroom setting? Uh, so I went to the Outdoor Discovery Center website. The Outdoor Discovery Center is a nature center located near Holland. Um, and I didn't know many people on staff, but I went down the web page to the contact button and I just sent a message, would anyone be willing to dream big with me? Thinking, I know they have an outdoor preschool, I wonder if they could house a kindergarten program over there. Um, and I, I got a response, the, the beacon call went out and was received by somebody named Rachel. And she said, you bet, come on down and, and let's do some talking. We'd love to support you in this endeavor. So I drove to the Outdoor Discovery Center thinking and expecting, this is awesome. We're going to have one of our kindergarten classrooms located at their nature center. That was my vision. And I went to Little Hawks and quickly discovered every spot in their uh, facility is covered. They use every square inch for preschool. So there was no space. They were very willing to support us in starting the kindergarten program, but we'd have to find our own space. So I drove back to Helen Christian, and at that point I was the principal of um, Southside, which is a traditional elementary building. We are pretty landlocked, so I knew we didn't have space that had a lot of nature for kids to roam and explore. So I went to a few other elementary buildings. I went to our middle school. The principals were very eager to offer space, but none of them were a great fit. So at that time, uh, Troy Doctor served as our director of advancement. And I plopped down in his office and said, Guy Troy, I feel like I have this idea, but it's dissolving out of my hands because we don't have space to do this. In between our high school and middle school, and this might be relevant to you as you think about the school district that you serve in. We have a skinny little strip of trees that goes in between our high school and middle school campus, and it kind of makes like a capital T, another little skinny strip toward the back of our property. Um, and if we could just get our kids into that property, I think we could do a kindergarten outdoor program. But, I, but we don't have a building from which we can really come and go well from. 
So Troy kicked around some ideas, and we both kind of, shoot, that's really too bad. Well, let's keep chewing it over, um, but we had no solutions. And I went back to Southside and was working with another student, and probably 20 minutes later, a very excited Troy doctor came into the classroom and found me and said, hey, what if I got you a portable? If you, could, if you had a portable um, building, outbuilding, and we put that in the forest, would that be sufficient? And I could feel that dream coming back to life because I think absolutely. The students and the families don't need a huge immaculate facility. Our learning space is already out there for us. The woods, the forest is beautiful. We just need a home base. Um, so simply with that idea, we went to the school board, presented the idea, and our school board um, got on board with um, the promise and the commitment, our kindergarten forest students will academically achieve that of their indoor counterparts. That has been our bar standard all along, and Ron will help us understand how that um, plays out. Uh, we received board approval with that guarantee, and we were watching closely, that these kids would achieve in kindergarten the same or perhaps more than our traditional kindergartners. And I'm really grateful to say at the close of this year in Ron's care, that is very true. And so we'll kind of get into how that was done. Um, we went into the hiring, well, we went into enrollment season with no teacher. We had no space to do this. Um, and we really had no firmed up curriculum. All we had was this idea. And that's not a lot of ground to walk on. But we had a whole class of families who enrolled their incoming kindergartners in this program. So this became a reality. Um, and we entered into the hiring season, and it was very interesting because we didn't really know, are we looking for a naturalist who likes little kids? Are we looking for a kindergartner who can handle sideways rain that we get in Holland in March? What are we looking for? Um, and we had a variety of candidates that, come, that came and went. Um, Ron Herrig walked into the room, and the team around the table got 30 seconds in, and knew this is what we're looking for. And I can help give you the cliff notes on that. What you're looking for when you're running a program like this is a teacher who knows how to educate kids no matter where they are. You could put this man in a box. You could put this man, I mean, I don't know, he could be anywhere. And you give him a class of kindergartners, and he knows instinctually by skill and by gifting through, by God, how to raise and grow kindergartners. He also likes the outdoors. Um, and he passionately understands why it's important for five-year-olds to grow up in a filthy environment. Um, so he was our guy. And, um, and, and we've moved forward then with that as our standard. We're looking for an excellent, masterful teacher who knows the curriculum and teaching strategies and solid pedagogy, who loves to be outdoors and believes firmly in that idea. So Ron started um, carving a path in our forest kindergarten. So he'll talk a little bit about what does that look like, sound like, and feel like as life in kindergarten in the forest. I'll give you the clip. 
this verse, uh, it's my classroom verse, the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. The one of the reasons I originally cut this out, and then my next favorite verse, this goes right along with it. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. So that's my classroom verse because I share my class every day the importance of spending time with Jesus. And I believe you do that with God and Jesus the Holy Spirit by spending time in His Word. And so every day I spend time in the Word and I believe that I am just an ordinary man and um, definitely unschooled, um, mostly schooled by what happened in my classroom. And I was, uh, um, Ms. Misko was sharing a story there. It was hard for me to contain my tears, to be honest with you, because I've just been so blessed given this gift to serve Holland Christian in the forest on what really is an experiment. I, we did a lot of research. We've not found any school in the United States that have tried this from kindergarten. When you read about forest school, Erin Kenny is probably the expert in this field, and she started it in 2006 for the first time. It's been around since the early 1900s in Europe. Been in Denmark. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, this is my family. Um, I put my faith, my family, and then my school kids, when I put my life in that order, um, things really started to uh, transform for me personally. My kids are both in college now, but this is at Yellowstone. Another picture. Has anybody here been to Yellowstone? Good. I figured most of you have been here if you're here today. Uh, here's another picture of Yellowstone. If you've been there, does this capture Yellowstone? These pictures, these two pictures? How many pictures would I have to put up there for you to ever capture what happened to Yellowstone? You can't experience Yellowstone unless you stand in those spaces and look out there and you just can't deny God's existence. And, and today, when I speak and share about four school, remember the lens I'm looking through. I've been in public school working with young fives, kids that are really struggling. If you don't know about young fives, it's where they send the kids that don't have labels yet and, and, and let them start out there and see if they can grow out of those things before they come to kindergarten. So it was a tough group of kids in the first and second. But what I'm experiencing in forest school, I can't describe, I'm going to do my best to give you a taste of it. But when you go to Yellowstone, you know what I'm talking about. It's just breathtaking. I can't wait to go back. And of course, my wife does not want to move there. We are moving to northern Michigan up in Lila when I retire. But uh, so I'm going to do my best. Why forest kindergarten? I'm going to read through these fast, hopefully. The kids need to be in the woods and the forest. We have over 2,000 pictures, and I did delete a lot from our first year in uh, forest kindergarten. But so many pictures like this were captured. This is Landon. Um, many of you are looking and saying, boy, is he 20 feet off the ground? I'm not really sure. Um, but when you read about forest kindergarten, you'll learn that in forest kindergarten, or in the forest schools, there's far fewer injuries there than there are in a regular playground. Because kids know how high they can climb. There's no doctor, trainer, facility, or program that can make up for the benefits of child-led, child-organized, outdoor free play. That's forest school in a nutshell. That's what's so different about this than nature-based kindergarten, which is awesome. I mean, I, in fact, that's what they describe at first. They call it nature-based kindergarten. But when it said they're going to be outside for 90% of the time or 95% of the time, I said, well, that's funny. They're just calling it nature-based kindergarten, but describing forest school. And so luckily for me, um, I had spring break after I applied for this job, and I spent a week reading and doing web seminars. Aaron Kenny was one of them on there. And it just opened me up to all these incredible ideas about what 
could happen if I got this opportunity to teach in Han Krishna. As adults, we, we may always feel that we know what is best for our children. A child's neurological system begs to differ. Children with healthy neurological systems naturally seek out the sensory input they need on their own. They determine how much, how fast, how high it works for them. I just recently had a parent out in the woods with me in the forest and they were climbing the trees. I said, oh, they're so far off the ground. It was about six foot. And I said, oh boy, he'll be up there probably 15 foot here pretty soon. Um, they know how high they can go. They can do this without even thinking about it. If they're spinning in circles, it's because they need to. If they're jumping off a rock over and over again, it's because they need to. It's because they are craving sensory input and they're organizing their senses through practice and repetition. I apologize for reading these slides, but I just want to sell you on the research and science that's out here to back it. I was a little slow when I was in Genesis, and my boss came to me and he showed me these kids in Oki suits. He said, hey, Ron, you want to do this? Because we had some space we could do it in, and I thought, ah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be outside all the time, honestly. In fact, if there was a kindergarten position opened up inside the, inside the classroom that I could have taken, I'm not sure if I would have went to Holland Christian. I was that unsure. When I take my dog out in the morning and it's raining and snowing, I'm not excited about going to work. But as soon as I get there and I hear these kids laughing and I hear these kids playing and the joy that I see and what I see taking place, all of that goes away. Just this week, Miss Garth, actually last week, she sent me a text or email and she was like, Sing my praises about being outside in this horrible weather. Do you remember the gale winds and the rain? We were out there and all of it. And I said to her, it wasn't, it wasn't difficult at, at all because I was hearing the children's laughter. I was seeing their joy. I was seeing them play nonstop and I was showing them men our incredible playscape. And all of you can probably do better than what we did. Oops, I'm going to go back to that. It's pretty important. Science has recently determined that approximately it takes up 400 repetitions to create a new synapsis in the brain. Unless it's done with play, in which case it takes between 10 and 20 repetitions. The kind of play I'm talking about, not the electronic play in front of a TV screen. Now this is one of my heroes, Erin Kenny. She started Cedar Song in 2006, I believe. It was the first one in the United States. It's a preschool program. In Finland, the country that consistently rates, rates the highest worldwide in academics success uh, of its students. The most notable feature is that formal education does not begin until age, age seven. There's a book written called On the Shoulder of Giants, and it talks about Finland and Denmark and what they do right. Well, that's one of the things they do right for school. Um, the latest publicized research found that, it's hard to read me that close to the screen, by the way, found that the average, this was already told you, that the average, the average American child spent six to seven hours a day in front of a TV screen Gracias. 
something outside. And then the, the parents were doing the same thing. And then they finally asked, asked the children what they were doing. And all they were doing and all they talked about playing was what they did with electronics. That's what that video was. It's very well done. Americans have replaced green time with screen time. If you watch a child in front of a media screen, you are familiar with the glazed eyes and virtual lack of physical movement that accompanies it. We for sure know that as educators. We know when we're having a rough day, we put a video in, and even the wildest kids in our class will sit there on the floor and watch this quietly, because that's what it does to them. The recent studies have found that there are many benefits for children who spend extended periods of, that's a key word there, extended periods of time outdoor and unstructured play, including stronger immune systems, higher grades, stronger attention spans, superior problem solving, critical thinking skills, increased strength, and greater mental health. Nature is a healing staff for anxiety-ridden and stressed-out children in today's fast-paced and overscheduled world. It also offers a place to play that encourages cooperation, teamwork, and increases social bonding. I read all this in that spring break I had, and I thought, that sounds crazy to me. There's no way this is possible, but I'm witnessing it. I'm really telling you that the research is real, and it, it, it all works. The example I have from conferences, I just had conferences this week, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. So Tuesday night, a mom says to me, yeah, oh, twin daughters. I have to cut my daughter's fingernails about every other day because they're so dirty. The other one, I don't have to cut it off because she chews a mom. Well, up until about the second or third week of school, she stopped chewing her fingernails. First time, she doesn't chew her fingernails anymore because she's not stressed out. For you here, for the teachers here that are my age, 58, 55, and 50s, probably in 40s, who here sleeps through the night anymore? Anybody back there? You do? Good for you. Let's have some good meds. Um, I have tried all the meds and they didn't work for me. And I started sleeping through the night my second year in forest school and have every, ever since I started teaching forest school. Not only does it help children, it helps adults. And uh, so I can attest that this really works. I discovered that movement through active play, particularly in outdoors, is absolutely the most beneficial gift we as parents, teachers, and caregivers can bestow upon our children to ensure healthy bodies, creative minds, academic success, emotional stability, and strong social skills. Balanced and career play. Another book. Put this on your reading list, too. They'll be at the end here. Um, these next slides are from her. She's an occupational therapist, and she knows her stuff. She also has a program like Miriam Kenny. When children are deprived of both child-led play experiences, they may struggle with higher-level thinking skills, such as coming up with their own ideas, problem-solving, and other forms of creative exp expression. It's important we allow plenty of independent play experiences which children have ample time and space to explore, create, and play with friends. It is then that they will be able to practice the complex cognitive skills needed for a successful academic career and reach their higher intellectual capabilities. Wild Doors. It's perfectly balanced sensory experience. It inspires, inspires a mind. It offers risk and challenge. It's calm and improves visual sense. Um, you can read it all. It's, it's just, like I said, when I was reading this research, I was getting more and more excited about the opportunity to interview this, for this job. And I really didn't think I had a chance. Honestly, I didn't. I looked at who Holland Christian hired in the past. I mean, I, you know, what do you want to say? I do my research, let's just say that. Um, Artie and Granville and Jensen and Hudsonville, I already applied to all three of those Christian schools. I really wanted to work in the Christian schools. I started out my career interviewing in the Christian schools. I'm dyslexic. I won't tell you what happened there, but this was an unpleasant experience. And um, God had other plans, that's all I can say. 
So I was thinking, man, this is my last chance. And so when I was given this opportunity and read about all these things, I, it was hard for me to believe. This is probably my favorite slide. This is not a stick. This is what we use to teach. It's not, it's, it's a pencil, it's a magic wand, it's a racetrack, it's a horse, it's a guitar, it's a microphone, it's a dinosaur, it's a sword, it's a house, it's a bridge, it's anything a child can ever imagine. And what's so fascinating about this, we have a work with the Discovery Center, and they come and watch what's happening, and they now are changing some of their practices. All we have in our forest for the kids to play with or whatever God put out there. We don't bring man-made things in our place kit, because they don't need to be there. You, you literally would have to come and witness kids playing for three hours, two or three hours, and they are not bored. There's no slides, there's no swing sets, there's no sandboxes. It's just what God has out there. And they turn all of those things into something to play with. Someone had an idea. That would be Mrs. Reinberg. By the way, how do you know it's an administrator? If they look like they don't belong in the forest, it's probably an administrator. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when she showed up to visit. And this is Troy Doctor, who um, she mentioned, but I, um, Troy's not with us anymore. And uh, I consider him the father of Forest School, and this is the, the mother, the young mother of Forest School. And uh, if it wasn't for Troy, and Miska, I would have been given this opportunity. And, and, and what was fascinating or incredible for me to, to experience, we have this living testimony that we're doing here in Holland Christian. And Troy was just such an example of that. He was battling cancer. And when I went to see him, all he wanted to talk about was forest school. He, he just was so fired up about, he loved the outdoors, obviously. Um, that's what came with the turkey. <laughs> um, and so this is what our kids are wearing Wednesdays when we go to chapel and whatnot. But on the back this year, we put Doctor, that's his last name, um, just to show him respect, just to show him how much we appreciate the gift that he gave Holland Christian. And I hope the Christian schools, I truly believe the Christian schools have an opportunity to do something that public schools can't. They, they are being... Um, just held in chains by the, the state government, the federal government. There's just no way they can, this is why it hasn't happened in, in kindergarten and first grade. And so the other thing we did, we went and we did chapel for the football team. That's Zach, doctor, his son, who plays a senior. And uh, all of the home games, uh, the four school kids went to uh, cheer on uh, Zach and be there because his dad couldn't be. That's, what do you want to say? That's, uh, that's being a living testimony. That's letting Christ shine through you. But that is his wife and one of his daughters, and that's a couple of the four. That's a future forest school kid, the one on the bottom right, and that's um, Allison, um, one of the girls in my class this year. So what this idea transformed into, summer play dates, I'll talk about all this, gatherings, big adventure, prayer, praise, Bible study, using primarily God's materials for learning, a teacher and assistant with students always. Yep, you heard it right. Always. Um, when you read about Forest School, you read about what it is, we try to do exactly what they're doing in Europe. How we've Americanized it is we added the academic component. Because in Europe, there's no academics. So um, roughly an hour and a half, um, hour and a half um, indoors and five and a half hours.
sports outdoors, um, the stump classroom, the stump story circle, weekly trips to a special forest. I can't tell you where that is because I don't want you joining me. And uh, as I said, the wrong button on um, puppets and guitar. I became a puppeteer when whoever was promoting forest school said, come and meet me around here, and uh, he does puppets. I never did a puppet before. So there was someone at work, I worked with Sandy Tetra, and she gave me a puppet, so I did puppets on the meeting, first time ever. If you build it, they will come. As Mrs. Reinberger said, let me move over here. Um, these are the families of the first kids, the first 18, that got to experience forest school. There's no teacher, there's no curriculum, there's no building, there's just an idea. I'm telling you that if you use the research that we have, and if you use, there's all kinds of news stories. But it was an A team, and now we have 24, two dropped, two more came on, on board. We have two kids waiting to join us from Jenison, which is 30 miles away. We have kids that came from uh, Colorado, Texas, I'm not sure where else, because they want to have the kids experiencing this kind of program. It's just so powerful. So this, now this might, I just want you to know, as an educator, if my boss, Lee Westerville, back when I was in public schools, said, hey, Ron, I want you to do this, I'd say, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um, do whatever you're comfortable doing. Just get the kids outside playing, but this is what forest school looks like. School year begins in June and ends in June. In June. It's not year-round school, but once a week in the summer, all summer long, we meet with our kids and play for an hour. There's all kinds of things. That's that whole relationship building thing that happens. The trusting thing that happens. And you as an educator don't have a lot of surprise on the first day of school when they show up. Um, summer playmates, I mentioned that. Uh, the big adventure, I'll get more into that. Outside in all weather, um, full-time assistant with the kids the whole day. No breaks, boy, you're ready to sign up, right? You have second grade opening next year. You should be flying, all of you. Um, no, but no breaks, lunch with the kids, no specials teachers. Um, that means no art music. This is just kindergarten, by the way. First grade is doing that, though. Um, extra assistant during small group, um, home practice, parent volunteers, reading club, and end of the year Mother's Day program. Classroom and course instruction. Um, this is what the morning looks like. So the 8 to 8.20, that is just the kids are coming in. It's not considered school time. It's drop-off time. And... Uh, from 8.20 to 8.45, you see attendance, young box, that's what our little cold lunches are called, hot lunch, we have Bible, um, prayer, Bible study, small group, reading and writing and math, by 9.45 to 12, outside, play, one-on-one. -on -one. one of the reasons this is working so well is while the kids are working, you are working one-on-one -on -one with the kids. I'd be bored to death if I was out there all day long watching them just play. Oops, um, good, I'm glad I didn't move. Um, so after that, 12 to uh, 12.30, we come in for lunch, and then 12.30 to 3.20, it's outside, play again. This is unstructured, not adult-led. The kids are just playing out there. Go ahead. Um, this is just go, oh, you can see my dog, Harvey, Jimbo Harvey Harbaugh. That's his name. And this weekend, we're taking Notre Dame down. You saying it? I go blue. Anyways, um, next slide. So you can see three state or four stations again. Um, two reading, again, I'll take that again. Math, you can see what we're using, rocks, more books. And um, Paul and Christian was so cheap, they said, hey Ron, we got this reading A to Z thing, you know, go run some copies out this summer and make your books. We honestly did all our books, black and white, reading Z that we ran off and used. It wasn't because they were so cheap. I was just trying to save money. But this, um, here's our stump classroom. Um, that was an incredible experience setting that up. This is our 
great. These guys that retired 50 years ago came back and helped me do that. I'll put those stumps in. This is what happens when the kids are playing. Now, that is a lean-to. Um, original design. I'm looking at some ideas from Ron Barrick here, trying to go as cheap as possible. But up until November, when you're out there and it's raining and snowing and whatever, I had an umbrella and a plastic bag. That's how I was trying to teach until we built these things. Because we're working one-on-one -on -one kids when they're playing. Now this year we're really, really improving. We added walls and, and, uh, and the sides to them. And think about it. We did this two weeks ago just before those gale winds. That's a God thing, I'm telling you. Because uh, we were so comfortable seeing those stumps in there. So we have three of those in our playscape. Here we are working one on one. That is Brex, now Braden, and I bet you right now we're working on letter ID. Oops. I'm not sure that's Caroline. That's snow on the ground. How do we do our first year? This is what Miska thought you would really appreciate seeing. I hope you can read this. I'm going to use my pointer. So if you look here, you have one, two, three. You have one C-level reader that's, that's uh, instructional, and then two C's that are independent, and you have the rest are D and above. That's their reading levels um, using the F and P. I think some other things I'll point out here, uh, what else do I want to point out over here? If you look across the top, maybe not, oh here we go. Um, segmenting, letter ID, that would be, if anybody did Dibbles testing before, the kindergarten teachers in here. So you know that if you ever track this information before, kids can do five or more rows in letter naming. That's, you know, just naming the letters. There's a direct correlation with that. It's really strong in how well they can read. The other one is this. I just want you to know these aren't end of the year scores, the reading scores were. Well, I won't show you. There's a column that says CBC. And dibbles, there's those make-believe or nonsense words that make you read. You've got to read about 18, 18 of them by the end of the year. So at some point, we're working on it. But look at that. Um, the first two kids, 13, after that 20 or above, I mean, they just whooped them through CBC words. They did incredibly well. How are we doing this year? So at the end of September, this is this year's class live numbers. Of course, my pointer died. Um, if you look at best CBC reading scores, they all knew by the end of September all the letters and all the letter sounds. Only people that teach kindergarten or, or young fathers understand the significance of that. Everyone, even the top student there has a zero right now. This this week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, when I worked with him, he would probably get a two or three to two or three today. So he's taking a word like book, at, bat. He's sounding them out. So if you look at that, in one minute, you have the entire class that's reading CBC words now, and now what we just start to take off. In three weeks from now, if you want me to send in the new slide, I bet it'll double these scores. Um, the other part, if you look at um, letter ID, again over there, that's the speed at which they could um, name letters. Um, and then the math stuff, oh, that will kind of surprise you. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, this, I'm going to show that the video will play. We'll see. You're not going to hear it. I'll tell you what it's saying. So Matt, right now I just want to, I videotaped this because I knew kindergarten teachers would be in disbelief. Who gets tired of adding up to five in kindergarten? Anybody in here? Or making towns? Maybe not. So what this is, this is using a program called Doubles and More. So Anthony right now, that's five plus six, eight plus two, pretty good, but six plus seven, that's not simple, is it? Nine plus nine I see on there, nine plus eight. This is a struggling student. 
He'll go through and do all this mathage. He's going to do it in his head. He's not going to use his fingers. He's not going to do anything. He's doing first grade math at the end of the school year. And the class I have right now is uh, at a faster pace when it comes to doing this. So the kids that go to first grade, and I know what that's like, the hardest math facts, addition facts, imagine if they came to you and they knew them all. That's what my second grade, first grade teacher is going to be getting. Um, I like to keep things positive. You're sure quiet back there. Um, I like to keep things positive to motivate kids in their behavior. So I might say something like, I like the way you're sitting up nice and tall and taking all the notes about forest school. Now put a rock in the bucket, will you? So this is called the Bucket Filling Program. Um, just a slide here that talks about a child's bucket of self-esteem needs to be built so high the rest of the world can't poke enough holes through it uh, to drain it dry. I really believe that your kids that are misbehaving are misbehaving because they feel bad about themselves. And so, sorry about that. Um, the Bucket Fill Approach is based on this book. If you don't know this book or aren't familiar with it, it's kind of goofy book, if you will, but its message is very powerful. It's basically be, be nice and love your friends and say nice things about them. Don't be a bucket emptier. Don't say you're stupid or you're an idiot. That would empty somebody's bucket. And it talks about how much it takes to fill their bucket again. So I use that same concept to motivate the class. So if I see something I like, then I point out, um, like right now, say I like the way you're not texting on your text phone right now during that thing. And I bet you he'll stop because I said that. So I reward the person that's doing something right, and, and, and I see something I don't, and I don't really care, you text all you want to do it all the time. Um, the, um, you like them all that test too. But um, when I reward him, then the, the rest of the kids start modeling the behavior I want. You can spend your whole day praising kids and getting kids to behave the way you want to, instead of calling out, I call mine naughty, I don't call them naughty. Because they're little Ronnie here, I had a terrible time in school. And so I try to fill their buckets. Um, Discovery Center Partnership, she talked a little bit about. Every week, this is why you don't need a naturalist. Um, it says, and if you read about Forest Kindergarten, you need someone that loves the outdoors, that's the most important thing, and knows how to teach. Those are the two most important things you can do. And then you can hire someone or get a volunteer to come in once a week. And in one week, she, or one day, she's there for an hour. Well, this is kind of cool. See if it works. Want me to bop in? Yeah, bop in. The Outdoor Discovery Center, they're not only do they provide a naturalist, but the Outdoor Discovery Center just south of Holland is very eager and willing to partner with schools who want to start what they describe as getting on the escalator. What pieces of an outdoor program can you implement and then ride up from there? So it's a lot more than just providing a naturalist to come and talk with the kids but they're willing to collaborate with your staff, provide staff development in supporting curricular ideas as well as spacing, facility ideas. Um, they're a wonderful resource, and I know that a lot of other um, nature centers around West Michigan are eager to support schools trying to take on this endeavor as well. This is their Discovery Center. We're there. This is just from this past week, so we go there once a month. What if you don't have the resources to build a classroom?
Um, do you need a classroom? Can you do forest school without a classroom? Yes, you can. Right there it is. The first three weeks of the school year, the first grade teacher's classroom was not ready. And I didn't volunteer immediately. Basically, my conscience was bothering me on the ride home, and I called up Miska and I said, okay, I can probably, she didn't ask me to do this. I said, I'll start every day out in the woods. So the parents dropped the kids off at local woods, and they picked them up at the end of the local woods, and this was my office. You can see the guitar, which I was going to bring in case I had to fill time. Um, you can see my rain gear, my boots, snack bag, uh, bug spray. You don't need a classroom. You can do this in a park. Holland Christian's Forest School Kindergarten Classroom. I'm telling you, at least for me, it's one of my favorite spaces to be in. I'm only in there an hour and a half a day. Sometimes I go in there on weekends um, just to get away from the family. But uh, This is worth knowing, too, that these three buildings that were given to Holland Christian came 100% through donor contribution, and that would be the work that Troy Doctor did in connecting this vision with people who are willing to support um, a different branch of education. So it starts out with these pictures, because this is the classroom, most, most of what happens, most of your time out there. These are just a few shots. This is that space I was talking about. Remember that picture of that stick? This is where we're at most of the time. See these log piles? That's, that's what kids need to play on. Um, I'm going to zoom around a little bit there. You can see in the back, that's before the walls are at. There's actually three lean-tos. Um, but here is the facility. Um, I'm in that classroom on the right. The classroom in the back is a future first grade. And one of you here, that classroom right there in the front, someone that's passionate about forest school and wants to join Holland Christian. <laughs> that's your future classroom. This is my classroom on the inside. It looks like a man cave, doesn't it? Um, I run through these pics pretty quick. Um, these were donated, and I'm really not that talented when it comes to hunting. I just like being out in the woods, and that's pretty fascinating. I'm out in the woods deer hunting all day long, and I get cold out there, but I've never been cold at forest school, ever. Um, these are just pics of my classroom. And the, the bear is a cinnamon bear. There's only 2% of the population are cinnamon. This is one technique. You start calling people on Craigslist. I call up this gentleman on Craigslist and say, hey, I work at Holland Christian Forest School. Would you be willing to donate that? He wanted $1,200 for it. And uh, he was a Christian. And he said, yeah, I'd love to donate to you guys. And he donated that bear. I put it up there to keep it safe. And I'll talk about these tables just a minute. Two of my favorite things. It actually started this year. I don't know how missed it last year. When we do our morning prayer, we're all gathered around that table, holding each other's hands, bowing and praying. And it's just that sense of community. It's that sense of family. I don't care what grade level you teach. I love this whole concept of putting all the tables in a row like that. Create space inside your room to do other things, but then when you do sit down there together, you have this sense of community. And this story I'm going to make really quick. Um, what do you think those shelves? Those are pretty awesome. They came from um, um, Furman, too, and Luther. So they look pretty level, don't they? They're incredibly level. But look what they're supported. See the two logs in the bottom? I've got a chainsaw. I am a carpenter, but I'm not this good. So I cut those two logs and I brought them inside and I had to have someone help me lift that up because that's about 24 feet long, that shelf. And I set it down on top and I put my level on top and it was almost perfectly level, 0.002 or something like that. So I, I was pretty amazed at that. I was, you know, kind of bragging a little bit to some of the other builders around there. Then I cut the next two logs. I just measured up 18 inches, cut them off the top. This is with a chainsaw laying on the ground, not some laser cutters. 
you want a top and put the top shelf on it and look level, again, it's perfectly level. It's like 0 .002 or 3. And what's significant about that, I think that God, if, if you're looking for it, I, I, this happened so many times even this in school year, um, but um, on this particular day, it was Troy's funeral. And so we had, the whole district had the day off. So in the morning we went to the service and then we came back and I, I wanted to get these shelves installed and I wanted it right, so that's why I did it. But I, this, I, can't, I don't have the skill set. And so I, I got down and, and I thought, I, I, I sent a picture of him to Miska and I said, man, if that isn't a week from heaven, is it, if that isn't Troy smiling down from heaven and thanking us for uh, the things that we're doing here, I don't know what it is. Student supply list, this is an important one. So, must have. I don't know about you, but it's real frustrating trying to get things inside a child size backpack. Before school, um, you can't, and I was first year's first year um, class, they kind of ignored me a little bit. Second year's class did not ignore me. We all have adult sized backpacks, everything fits inside, and it's real important. Okieware is also a must. If you are starting a forest school, you email the teacher, not the administrator, um, because I get the biggest discount I ever offered by Okieware. You aren't going to do it. You can try, but if you do, let me know so I can use your Okieware code. Um, tell them you're starting a forest school program, and they will give you a discount code, and they get much cheaper for the parents and for the people buying. They're real good about doing that. In fact, you can thank Colin Christian, we really thank God, because now they have a bigger size. They only had went up to what was it, eight nines. Now they have ten elevens because our first, our second, our first graders couldn't fit into their sizes. So in November they just started offering the smaller size. Um, the polar fleece warmer, um, mittens are a must, not gloves. Four times in the entire winter last year. Think about how cold the winter was. I have kids coming up to me and say they were cold. Once it was about boots and they really didn't know what cold feet were, and once it was about their hands because they were wearing gloves. Not, I mean, wearing gloves. Yeah, not mittens. So and just thing on that, I have a lot of people ask me, what's the temperature line that you trip and then the kids have to stay inside? And Ron, I think, captured it really well when he said he uses the kids as a thermometer. So when the kids tell him, or he can see that they're starting to get uncomfortable or starting to get cold, that's when they move indoors. So there really kind of is no, once we hit 15, we don't go outside anymore. They go outside, but then he reads their condition to determine where they need to learn best. The rubber boots rated for cold weather is a must, and um, a boot dryer, the parent, they get them cheap. They don't push on this. And then at some point, like last week, it became boots only. The kids come to school in boots, and then they go boots, because I don't know when their boots are wet. Um, and then the parents do. If in the budget, uh, one-piece snowsuit, um, you should, I, I was going to bring it today as a prop, but I call it my Oompa suit. It's a size 56, I'm not that big, um, size 56, what's that, Carhartt, extreme cold level, one-piece suit. And then I have my snow pants on, my coat on, many layers, and then I do have rubber boots ready for 20 below, I think they're muck boots. Um, and then these wool socks here, my feet don't get cold, I don't get cold, and I'm sitting out there all day long with these kids. The garden, I mean, if you have a forest, we need to have a garden. Uh, we started that, it was actually, we built it at the end of the school year, because, yeah, because it was a bit of an overwhelming year. Um, it's probably one of the reasons that I questioned what I should do this. I knew what to do in the classroom, and I knew how much work this would be, and I thought, do I really want to do this, 58, probably thought it was like 30, 
this. At the end of the school year, on the playground, you're not resolving conflicts. These kids play together. It was only 18. I have 24 of them right now, and, and when those two, two of them quit, there's two more ready to take their place. They play together so well. We're ahead of where we were last year in this class. It's because they're given the time to play, to learn how to play. The kids that are struggling academically, that need the one-on-one -on -one time, we can give it to them because we're out there for five and a half hours. The kids that don't need the academic time, most of those kids, what do they need? Social and emotional growth. They need to interact and communicate and talk to their peers, and that's what they're given time to do. Like I said, it's just uh, fantastic. So here's the garden after planted. First in, uh, kindergarten, first grade came in in the middle of uh, the summer, and, and that's it. Here's us picking some vegetables. I'm going to power through these, otherwise you'll get no questions. At the end, you will see this is us. We did have, uh, I want to say, a nice vegetable snack. The Big Adventure. When I read about Forest School, um, this is Bob Hess, a retired DNR officer. There's people all over in Michigan that want to share nature with kids. But he has 280 acres up in Luther. Um, and we went there, and we actually caught some uh, monarch. Um, we got some eggs, and we got some caterpillars, and the kids brought them home. And a few kids, this is from one of my students who ended up having a, a monarch catch in his house. And this is the big adventure. But it's sad that this is my favorite fix. Many of these parents have never, like, where's the road? Just follow us. We'll get you to the beaver pond. Here we are on the logging trail, and here we are on the beaver pond. And again, I just, in my first year going through my conferences, um, I honestly cried in half the conferences, trying to describe to the parents how incredible it is when I'm witnessing what these kids are doing. Yes, it bothered my conscience as a parent about what I did with my own kids. But because, like I said, if it's raining outside or snowing outside, I mean, you don't need to raise your hands. I'm not, I don't, didn't take my kids outside and that stuff. And I look at what they're doing out there, how much fun they're having, the things they're doing that I never gave my kids an opportunity to do. Yes, of course, maple syrup, you have to do this in poor school. Um, this is a dad who kind of took that over. He has twins in my class. We thought, well, we might as well do some marshmallows too. That's a fire pit that's now in our story circle. And there it is, the first bottle of maple syrup. I bet I could get a good dollar amount for that at an auction at a fundraiser. Um, and it tastes amazing. The Mother's Day Spectacular. Um, I, there's a whole story how I got my guitar. I'm not a songwriter. Oh, I am a songwriter. I play about five or six chords and I write songs. So this one's called Praise God the Forest. It's what I wanted to sing with you today. But unfortunately, or lucky for you, my guitar is in her car. She probably locked it in there. But these are some picks. So um, we didn't have a music teacher, uh, but we still um, were able to share something special. These are, in my view, the two most important books you could read. Um, Cedar Song Way, unfortunately, Karen, Aaron Kenny is sick. Uh, her program, this is the last year for it. And uh, I'm not sure, I'm guessing, I know what's wrong with her, but um, um, she is really the person that got us started here in the United States. And then uh, a barefoot of balance, but um, many slides came from that. There's a, there, this was done by a Calvin student. Uh, there's two news stories. These are something we can share with you. The only reason I'm sharing with you we're not watching today is because you can use to help your parents say, yeah, this thing really works. You can use it to share with them why they should have a forest school program. And I think... All of those links are also on homechristian.org. It might be valuable, too, just to know that some of these kids in that class entered kindergarten having never climbed a tree or were really hesitant. Am I stealing your thunder? No, steal away. Um, were a little hesitant about dipping their feet in the puddle or in the pond or in 
them um, uh, a creek. Um, so it's this program, interestingly, did not attract only kids who grew up, I would say, outdoors. It's been it's an interesting cross section, and then um, modeling them, their behavior after their peers, they quickly uh, followed their friends into the creek and up trees and grabbing frogs and that's a real cat. Keep talking, I'm looking for particular ones. Here we go. This is a real forest school here. They love getting muddy and dirty. Here's what you do. You have to have a hose, though, for sure. You want to bring that fun to the classroom, so you just hose them down. Good way to clean it. You can see they're having fun. These are pictures of just things that happen. I'm looking for a slide. There's a little girl that, when she first came to the creek, um, she tiptoed across it. She was literally afraid of the water. There's a puppeteer, just around here now. This is some of the, oh, I guess I missed it already. Well, we here it is. So this is a little girl that came to us who tiptoed across that stream. It was only about one inch deep at that time after the rain. And, and that, this is a puppy pile. Are they napping? Who thinks they're napping here? They're not. That was just a cute shot of the cell parents that would take naps. Um, the, this is for every child. I, I hear people say again, oh, it's not for my, oh, this is great for my youngest one. This is great for my oldest one. When I see these kids come, like this summer we did, we did three or four-year-old preschool, and we did um, in first, yeah, in kindergarten and first grade, like camps that I, I mean, four school camps where they were with me for a week. And I saw, I call them the princesses, uh, the can, little girls all dolled up, and then uh, the gamers, the boys that, you know, never held a stick. By the end of the week, they were so engaged in nature, they didn't want to go in the, these same streams and the things that we're doing. So I always say it's not, it's for every child. It's just not for every parent. There's a lot of parents. When you see Sullivan, oh, here's some of the artwork I want to show you. We do artwork out in the forest. Um, we're going to be doing this again. We have a partnership with the junior high group, Mr. Cool's class, and uh, we get together and do different things. You better start asking questions. Well, that's what I was just wondering. It's 313. I wonder, does anyone have a question? For the group to hear, um, and otherwise, what we might do is just um, be up here as a resource if there's something particular that you have a question about. Look at that winner. Would you let your kids do that?
you're going to look forward to going to work every day. Well, maybe not when it's raining and snowing, but once you get there and get out in the forest and you hear the children's laughter, it's going to change for you. And so this is my email and her email. So if you want any of those videos to help promote and help you get forest food going, or if you have questions, but we can still take some more questions up here real quick about, yes, I do meet with the kids every day, whatever we're working on, we assess every Friday, um, and the parents get to see the growth. I guess the key is if the kid's not improving, what it tells me is they need more practice. It's always worked. There's never been a child that has not left my room leading at grade level, ever. Um, when it was young fives, there was never a child that left my classroom that didn't know their letters or letter sounds. What I discovered, I was dyslexic and struggled, is that almost all kids, if they're struggling, they just need more practice. And uh, with forest school, we're able to give that to them. 